Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is Stan Drive here with my co-host Nick Braccia, here to talk about last week's UFC on ESPN Plus 20, where Damian Maya picked up a resounding victory over Ben Askren. And we're going to talk about this weekend's UFC 244, where George Masvidal goes up against Nate Diaz in a battle of up-and-coming superstars late in their careers. Nick, how was your week, buddy? How's it been? The week's good. I mean, we just recorded a few days ago. I'm super excited to be back, and I'm really fired up because this is one of the best cards we've had in a while. I see no way that this main card doesn't deliver, but honestly, all the way through to the early prelims, <clears throat> there's can't-miss fight after can't-miss fight, and they're extremely difficult to pick. Um, now, we had a pretty good card early. I know you watched it later. I actually got up and watched at least the main card at 8 a.m., uh, when it aired because the fights were in Singapore this past weekend. That was uh, UFC Fight Night, Maya versus Askren, a.k.a. UFC Fight Night 162, a.k.a. UFC on ESPN Plus 20. So many names. <laughs> so many names. Uh, let's talk about that. First of all, you, okay. you won. You won the friggin' card. But, man, it was close. It all came down to the um, the Michael Johnson-Stevie Ray fight. Had, had Michael Johnson you know, remembered how to, I don't know, defend anything in the second half of the third round. Um, I would be uh, bragging that I'd won two weeks in a two in a row for the first time in months. But instead, uh, here I am saying congratulations, Mr. Dryev. Go fuck yourself. Two and one, motherfucker. Not only are we two and one in my favor, but I am now two and a half points up over your neck overall. Yeah, congratulations. Go I'm get yourself it. a... Piece of cherry pie. It worked out really well, Nick, because I think both of us would have probably picked Johnson as our very first pick, and it was your turn to pick first. So it really worked out for me in that way. But I did have Jeff Hughes as my second pick, which didn't work out either. No, but um, I mean, I, who can blame you? We didn't know that much about Jeff Hughes. I really just thought that Mike, I didn't see a way that Michael Johnson would be able to screw this up. Well, I definitely saw uh, him screwing it up by losing in the third round or losing the third round because that's how he usually loses fights. He usually does well early. Even against Khabib, he looked really good in those first few minutes before Khabib first took him down. In this case, it took about two rounds for him to get tired enough because the output wasn't very high between Ray and Johnson. Stevie Ray basically kept up with him in that first round, and it was a very close one. The second round was clearly Johnson's where he hurt him a couple of times clearly looked a step or two above because of his speed advantage. And then in that third round, Stevie Ray, who never looked like he was giving in, no matter what was happening in that fight, no matter how bad it may have felt or looked for him, he kept trying. And in that third round, he basically kind of khabibed him late in that third man, just kind of smashed him at the very end yeah, of the round. Yeah, and he gave a very great... Stevie Ray impressed me as much as I was pissed that I knew when that happened I was going to lose the night uh, for the most part. I mean, I had a shot yeah. in the main event, but I was much less confident about the main event than I had been about the co-main event. And Stevie yeah. Ray's uh, his speech after the fight, his interview, was very charming, very likable guy. Uh, he had gotten knocked out in his last fight, um, so you know I'm happy. Did, yeah. I'm happy for his. I'm happy for his victory, but I just feel bad for Michael Johnson, the guy that's got wins over Dustin Poirier, knocked out Dustin Poirier, beat Tony Ferguson again. I mean, a while ago, but not that long ago. Like he's he's a talented guy. He just I, people, I don't want to be cliche and be like he has mental lapses, but he goes from doing everything right to being susceptible um, and put it to bad positions, and it happens again and again. But 
I mean, as far as a, a striker with good footwork goes, he's one of the best snipers in the business. Unfortunately, if he doesn't knock you out early, he's likely going to screw it up. Yeah, I mean, if you look at his record, he's now 3-7 and seven in his last 10, 2-5 and five in his last seven fights. He's clearly not at a good point in his career, but it's funny because Stevie Ray, he had moments in which he was really beating Stevie Ray up. He was clearly much faster than him. Josh Emmett in his last fight, which took place earlier in the year, he was way ahead. He was whooping that ass, again, because of his speed advantage. But then Josh Emmett just winged in that third round and caught him with a huge overhand right. Artem Lobov and Andre Philly um, picked up two victories there, but then Elkins, Gaethje, and Khabib roughed him up before that. So it's been a rough go for Johnson. This is actually the first loss in which he didn't get finished uh, in the last several years. So in that way, I guess it's arguably kind of an improvement. I mean, he could have lost to a guy... Yeah, it's He just lost to a guy with a 19 and 14 record. He did. And he um I can see an I'm argument sorry, on the cards for him for a draw. I suppose I can see an argument for a draw. Uh I can maybe see an argument for Johnson winning it, but I I think more I think pretty much they got it right. Let's uh let's talk about the main event. Um gosh. Nick Damian Maya once again gets a submission over a younger guy who's supposed to beat him. Once again, Nick, he makes me look like a goddamn genius. He did, and I've been overrating Askren's wrestling for a while now. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I probably won't have the chance. He's a fraud, to... Nick. He's a fraud. I don't think he's a he's fraud. A fraud at a high level. I, ben Askren is a fraud. I don't think that he's a fraud. I think th- fraud, Nick. No, he he was way too good at at uh, a as an amateur, and he was unstoppable overseas. Here's what I think. I think he's been natural uh, his whole life. I think. He does not um, probably work out as hard as he used to. I think he's lost a lot of strength. His body, even though it looked better this time, he looks kind of like crap. And he's in his mid-30s, and Damian Maya looks like an animal. He looks like an ascetic guy who does nothing but train and work out. Ben Askren looks like a dad. Nick, were Wait, you let just me, describing... Let me finish. All right, all right. Go ben ahead. Askren looks... He's got, With the dad bod and everything looks... So what I'm trying to say is... A lot of athletes, particularly natural athletes, by the time they peak, you know, peak between 28 and 32, if they're lucky, on the late end of things. And, you know, I don't think that, I think against 28-year-old Ben Askren, this is a different a different bout. Um, but he just looked slow. He looked kind of weak. Even though his, his technique was there in the muscle memory, he just did not. He was multiple steps behind uh, on the feet and on the ground, and uh, I just, I think, I think he got old. I think that Damian Maya is forty two years old, and well, Ben Askren's only thirty. Yeah, but that, that, but not everybody's not everybody's Hang built on. the same. Okay. Hang on, it's my turn now. Hang Fine. On. Damian Maya has been fighting at the highest levels for almost his entire career, and Ben Askren has been fighting about two leagues below for most of his career. I think that Ben Askren's 35 is not quite as good as Damian Maya's 42, clearly. Yeah. And as I said last week, leading into the fight, the reason that I was probably the only MMA odds maker that favored uh, Maya over Askren is because Maya's not only better standing, but he's better on the ground. He probably wouldn't get finished standing up, but he can certainly get finished on the ground. He can get submitted on the ground. He can get turned over on the ground. Uh, and all of that happened. 
and on the feet he can get outstruck, and that happened. Right, I thought Although I thought he was, like I thought be able. In that second round. I believe that Askren would get takedowns and be able to keep top control without getting reversed uh, or submitted. And, yeah, that would be that would definitely be his way to win. And I thought, and I thought he it. would he would do it, but he didn't. Honestly, he did not seem strong enough or fast enough. Damian Maya is a better athlete at this point in time. I mean, there's there's some guy, you know, Julio Franco was a major league hitter until he was 46. There's other guys, you know, like Jason Giambi or um, yeah, some guys. Some, age you know, they peak at others, 31, sure. 32. A lot of it's behavior, also. I don't know what you know. I don't know how Ben Askren's been training the last five years. I think Damian Maya probably doesn't do much butt train. Um, so he just, Ben Askren is not, does not look like in his three bouts, he has not done much of a, he hasn't done a very good impression of a top 15 UFC welterweight. Nick, I think the MMA gods have come together and for some reason they decided let's let Ben Askren put his arm around Robbie Lawler's head for about 15 seconds. And then we're just going to have Herb Dean wave the fight off as a win for Ben Askren. But because they have karma in mind, the MMA gods, Nick, they huddled up and they decided, how are we going to pay back Askren for this gift that we've just handed him? And they decided that they were going to have him end up unconscious at the end of his next two bouts. And that's exactly what happened. Look, George Masvidal is a guy with a lot of holes. has been beaten by 13 individuals. Knocked him out in the first few seconds of the first round. Damian Maia has been beaten nine times. Yes, mostly in middleweight, but he's been beaten nine times. Nine men have figured out how to beat the guy, and he schooled Ben Askren. Robbie Lawler had 12 losses. The UFC didn't match him up against the very, very untouchable of the division. They matched him up against guys with a lot of holes that he could have exploited had he had the ability to. fact of the matter is that he spent his entire career talking shit from down below. He comes up, and this is how he performs. His one win is not a win at all, and I think anybody that's a serious fan and watched that fight can't really consider that an actual win. I'm not saying Robbie Lawler won that fight, but Robbie Lawler damn near knocked him out, and Ben Askren held onto his head for a few seconds. Look, Ben Askren to me is a fraud at a high level. Can he beat some of those mid-level welterweights? Yeah, like below the top 15, I think he would have good odds over a lot of those guys that aren't destined to be something great. But again, he's made a career out of beating extremely young prospects in Bellator before they fully matured, like Douglas Lima. And then he went over to Asia and beat whoever they could possibly find, including probably his best opponent was an old Shin Aoki. He was never that great. He never and developed Shin, a strike Shin, Shin, Let's be clear. Shin is a lightweight. He's, I mean. Shin, yeah, Shin is a lightweight who's so past his prime. And again, another guy that walked into that fight with seven losses. He's now 44-9. and nine. Um, yeah, well, Shinioki's losses yeah, yeah. are mostly when he took weird fights against like crazy strikers. But when the guy, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's practically a difference. It was at least during Aoki's prime was practically a different sport in Japan. Um, Absolutely, and and again, Ben Askren made a career out of beating a bunch of extremely beatable guys with either no experience, way past their prime, and way smaller, uh, no high level training camps. Now he's facing pretty solid top UFC level opposition that are very beatable by the best and he's getting smoked in all these yeah fights. i think he's just like johnny hendricks he peaked he, he peaked he was a wrestler whose body has peaked and he's been on the downside and he got to cash in johnny hendricks has real accomplishments in the ufc he's beaten some yes. of the best in the ufc he's won I, the I, UFC met in terms of his, I met in terms of his i met in terms of his not into i wasn't saying in terms of competition i mean in, in terms his of their, just his career trajectory yeah I hear in that. terms yeah, of like I bodies like, giving uh, out quick decline but maybe you know you know askren was maybe never 
And it's hard to say. We can't say because he wasn't fighting the best when he was 28. I mean, yeah, when you think about it, outside of Randy Couture and Dan Henderson and those guys that were clearly on steroids, how many wrestlers really go very far into their career and their peak? We're, you just mentioned Johnny Hendricks. We have Chael Sonnen. Ben Askren here. and We have Chael Sonnen, who yeah started falling apart as soon as he got off the juice. Right? Uh, John Fitch. Or maybe he was still on the juice and still yeah. falling apart. Uh, last week, we had Chris Weidman. Right. Same idea. He was at the very top of his game, one of the very best guys in the world, and then his body just started falling apart on him, whether it be injuries or his lack of durability in a fight. Look, uh, the difference is that when he had the opportunity, and granted the UFC played hardball with him, but when he had the opportunity, he couldn't come in and prove himself here. Yeah, I agree. Um, he, he he kind of talked shit and pissed off the bosses. And don't get me wrong, I was rooting for it. But man, when you come into the UFC and you get three beatable top fighters, but beatable fighters and you look like that, to me, he's a fraud. I'm not saying that he isn't a good fighter, a good mid-level fighter. I'm not saying he wouldn't be a good gatekeeper for the UFC throughout his career, but he never developed any striking nick. That uppercut is like one of the few strikes he's ever landed in his career standing up that he landed on Damian Maia, and Damian Maia totally outstruck him. Well, like what is, completely, let me ask you another question, okay? What does it say, yeah, about, yeah. What does it say about Rufus Sport? Because Rufus Sport, six, seven years ago, Highly lauded. When I think of Rufus Sport now, I think of 500 or less fighters in um, the Pettis Brothers over the last couple of years. I think of the CM Punk experiment. Um, who else is a, is currently a Rufus Sports fighter? I think that's somewhat unfair. Well, Fogel's I'm asking you. I'm asking Sport. you the question. Um, I, well, well, no, 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 no and, and don't get me wrong. I can totally see why people would think of those as the mainstream guys, like Pettis, uh, the Pettis brothers, who aren't quite uh, specifically Anthony Pettis, who, to be fair, is probably only fighting the way he's fighting because he doesn't have any heart, and he never really had much reason to show heart in his youth. But yeah, there are several fighters on that team that are kind of falling off. But I will say, and watching tape and getting ready for last week's event. Um, I remember Paul Felder talking about how mm-hmm. Paul Felder, who also trains at Rufus Sport, yeah. talking about how Duke Rufus goes out there and spends time with Ben Askren, which tells me that Ben Askren does not come to Rufus Sport. You see what I'm saying? Oh, I thought Askren was based. Okay, got it. Yeah, that, I mean that, that's what I thought too. That, that is what I thought too. But it was just that one throwaway line from Felder that I don't know. I don't even know if he realized that he gave away as much as he did because he was on the in the commentating booth for that one. Um, it just didn't sound like they have a camaraderie between he and Askren. It wasn't like a, it wasn't like the way that he calls an Anthony Pettis fight. In fact, I think Felder has previously literally said, "I will not call this fight because this is a close training partner." I don't think Askren's actually in that gym, man. And there's there's some other guys there. I mean, Bilal Muhammad is a is oh, yeah. a good fighter. Yeah. Paul Felder, but but I mean, not not a lot of top five guys. Part of what I'm saying is that Ben Askren does not go in there and spar okay. the top guys. Got it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Like he, He's not there with those fellow training partners. He might be working with Duke Rufus, who may have given him the little bit of striking prowess that he's shown in this but one he's, fight. Yeah, he's not sparring with Paul Felder. Yeah, I don't think he or is. Or Tyron Woodley. I really, really okay. don't. Uh, yeah, although although they have like, they've spoken, to him and Woodley have spoken about each other as if they've got a camaraderie. Um, I wouldn't be surprised being in the same weight division in different organizations if they had trained together. But I, I don't think he's regularly training with the best. And Tyron Woodley throws about three strikes around yeah so you're not getting quite the same look as you would from some of these other welterweights yeah look i i stand to it ben Askren is a fraud i think the only thing fair and i know this is your expertise but i think the only fair matchup 
to set up right now for Ben Askren, unless the UFC wants to soft, throw him a softball, is Robbie Lawler. I think you let Robbie Lawler get that win back. And if if Ben Askren cannot beat Robbie Lawler, then he's not worth his price tag, and he needs to either retire or you know renegotiate his contract with the UFC. Whatever works for both of them. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I'm trying. Let me. I'm gonna take a look at the current welterweight rankings and do my little matchmaking exercise here. <laughs> I always look forward to this, Nick. Highlight of my week. I'm pretty. I'm Seriously. a pretty good matchmaker. You are. Um. All right, looking at the top 15, I people have been calling to see Askren fight Gilbert Burns. I do not think that ends well for Askren. Um, I don't either, but I'm okay with that. I, okay, I do not see any, any winnable fights in the top 15. It's Robbie Lawler. It's Robbie, I would maybe, I mean, what would be kind of interesting is if Thompson beats Luke A., <laughs> Matching up Blue Gay and Askren. <laughs> that would be very unkind, Nick. Actually, I mean, I, I get—I don't know. I guess Askren has a tiny shot at wrestling. A shot at wrestling him down. I just feel like that would be very unkind to Askren. Yeah, like, very unkind. It's—it's it's interesting in that matchup, Nick. That Damian Maya often gets really tired as a fight wears on, especially when he fights these younger prospects. Yeah. I what I realized in this matchup, he didn't look much more tired. He wasn't slowing down very much. And I think part of the reason for that is because getting going for takedowns in MMA is literally the most tiring thing that you can do against the fighter that is defending them. And Damian Maia didn't go for a single goddamn takedown. He was so fresh, it seemed like, in the third round for how he normally fights at that point. He looked like he was in great shape. And also, I'm sure he felt I agree. he could hear Askren breathing. If you watched, like, if you saw Askren's his movement on the ground, um, you know, trying to reverse position stuff. He was saying? so, yeah, he looks so slow. So, yeah. Um, anyway, I can see that. Looking, uh, looking at the rest of the main card, let's zip through the rest of the main card, shall we? Yeah, sure. Benito Dayush over Frank Camacho. Got, Man, that was so Yeah, nice got watch. in Such there, nice got card. out of there. Easy, easy paycheck. For, I agree. For Benito Dayush. I did not know he was a, I didn't know he was a hardcore Christian, but I found that out. I didn't know, but I didn't remember Benito Dariush as a, uh, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ kind of guy, but he is. The very first thing that he says on that mic after every single win is he gives credit to his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, I had missed it. And then we have Cyril Ghani. Oh my God. Incredible against Dantalo Mays. I thought this fight was closer than the odds suggested, but Ghani just looked incredible. Just completely thrashed him standing. And in the third round, Nick, with 14 seconds left, he catches a goddamn hill hook this kickboxer does. Cyril Ghani is going. He, it's funny. He's, a, he's doing an MMA, I think, what people thought Tyrone Sponge was going to do. Um, yeah. He looks, I mean, he looks kind of like him, but. He, this guy is going to be All black a top people look, 10. look alike to you, don't they? I, I didn't, I'm just going to let that go. They, <laughs> they're both bald guys with the skin, with the same style and who are roughly the same size and the same skin tone. But he is a guy moving over from kickboxing. That was, an, that was really unfair. <laughs> Did you just did you just literally say all black people look alike? No, but in slightly different ways. No, I did. I, I, <laughs> a very clear. That's a what very, I heard? No, I do think that all Uzbeks look alike, though. <laughs> <laughs> all 
yeah, yeah, you're right. He 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 is he is doing incredible things. And I don't know that anybody expected any kind of kickboxer or boxer to come into MMA and catch his first two UFC wins by submission. He's his precision. His he's got great win. He's a scary dude, and he's going to be in the top five in heavyweight by the end of 2020. I have no doubt. I think so. I think the only downside with him is that he is good friends and training partner with Francis Ngannou. And if Francis Ngannou wins that title from Stipe Miocic, if that is in fact the ne- the next uh, UFC title fighter, the one after Stipe beats Cormier again, um, then Ghane will be in that kind of weird Muslim Salikov, I think, uh, place it is where, you know, your best friend is uh, the champion and you can't really challenge for it. And you're really fucking good. You don't think he, you don't think he can, he, you don't think he can cut the 205? What did he? What does he weigh? Uh, yeah, I think he weighed in at about two forty for this one. I mean, I guess it's possible. Well, let me see. How, I have to look at how six, his five, size. Man. Six five, two sixty five. He doesn't. He's he's got a lot of muscle. Yeah, he's. I don't think he's getting down to two oh five. He's, he's two thirty nine. I mean, it is. Yeah, possible, this isn't a. It's not a. Dan, it's not a Daniel Cormier situation where half of it is no. fried chicken. Like it's absolutely. Not. Um, yeah, that I don't think Popeyes gets any business from Cyril Gane. No. So I mean we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um but man, he that was a beating uh Dante Mays, man, he um He's a talented, athletic, big He also didn't quit strong heavyweight. He did, I thought he was gonna survive till the bell, man. He took a yeah. beating. Some of the nastiest body kicks. Big shots. Yep. He, he never gave up. He had a million times to go out, and he didn't. So I was impressed. I just was scared. Some, it, you know, you also get to the point where you don't want to see the guy get really seriously hurt uh, on account of his own toughness. Yeah. Um, but Dante has the kind of qualities that a Conor McGregor or Anthony Pettis can only wish for. Like that guy yeah. refused to give but up. But when like, you until his when, literally his knee was you can't uh, do anything to it. You, yeah, you can't do anything to a heel. You realize at that point that you're not talking about toughness. You're talking about you know six to twelve six to twelve months and potentially yes. surgery and rehab and not being able to make any money. So at that point, and know. the wor- and the worst part of that, Nick, is that a kickboxer did it to you. Yeah. Um, we also had Muslim uh, Salikov against Loriano uh, Staropoli, which was as, essentially as described. It was there was a lot of spin and shit and back stuff, and, and yeah. some uh, you know some solid shots. I like Muslim Salikov a whole heck of a lot. I don't quite know what his ceiling is. Um, I gotta believe that when he goes up, I don't think he's gonna have much success against the. Um, you know when you hit those top five uh, wrestlers in the division. And he does have one submission loss, uh, you know, a little under two years ago to Alex Garcia, uh, if I remember correctly, is I think he's a I think he's a Dominican fighter that fights out of Montreal. Yeah, Dominican. He fights he, out he of is, TriStar. Yes. Um, yep. But you know, plenty of plenty of interesting fights. I'd love to see him fight. Uh, um, what's it called? Uh, Paul Felder. That would be. I think that would be really fun. That would be interesting. Um, I think uh, I think Paul Felder would be shooting for takedowns in that one. If not, then Muslim is probably going to smash him. Muslim is actually probably the most experienced, most accomplished overall kickboxer in the UFC right now, and that probably includes Israel Adesanya. Wow. Um, Muslim has literally like 140 fights and only like 20 losses in kickboxing. 
Um, the guy is extremely experienced in that department. And you know what? I was foolish because I disagreed and thought Loriano's output and the fact that he's a, a bigger, taller man, uh, more reach, I thought that yeah, was I, going I, to give him a decision. I, I called that one. Um, lo- lots of fights you for did, him. And, and most people pick Salikov except for me, apparently. Man, I, I called that one wrong. But I really expected Loriano's uh, activity to be a big factor. Muslim isn't generally super offensive. I'll be honest with you. In his last three fights... He is way more busy and way more offensive than he had been in the few fights before yeah. that. Uh, I kind of got the impression that he wouldn't have the output. But man, not only did he have the output, but the power, the technique, all of it. He looked really good. I agree. I think it's some of those serious wrestlers in the division that will give him trouble. Laureano didn't seem to be super interested in going for takedowns, and that was a mistake. You know who I'd love to see him knock silly would be Michael Venom Page, but we won't see that. Um, I would not say no to that at all, Nick. That would so be awesome. the big fights for him, that fight was at 170, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, there's a bunch of guys. I mean, Melender, not really. Uh, Anthony Rocco Martin just Maybe lost. Burns. Burns is interesting. Bilal Muhammad, they haven't fought yet, right? Uh, Platinum Mike Perry. Rocco, Rocco Martin might make sense because he's yeah. ranked so highly above him, even though he just lost. Right, right. Didn't he, add, didn't he call out uh, Jingling Li? He himself, I'm not. I sure think he, no, he I did. He did. did. Now I'm remembering. He called he did, out. Huh? He called out Lee because, and the, it made sense. That's probably a good fight for because him because he played. He has a ton of fights in China and Singapore. Ah, uh, maybe not in sense. Singapore, but that definitely he had. Uh, if I'm going back and looking at, yeah, he had like ten fights in China. Um, he was a star there. From uh, he was an M1 Global. And then he was in a number of um, different fight leagues fighting all over China, from Shanghai to... Plus, I wouldn't be surprised if he had had a lot of experience in China from his kickboxing days, which maybe is the reason they brought him over. That, too. He's got a ton of of, uh, kickboxing. He was in all the Wushu Kung Fu tournaments. Um, And he says he has a lot of fans. He has a lot of fans there, so he's smart. He's following the money, and he's following his fan base. Um, But good, you know, exciting guy to watch, so we'll see. You know, he's, thir- he's no kid. He's 35. Again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part of the thing is that he, he's not a spring chicken, right? He's already got hundreds of fights behind him. I wonder what his durability will be like against the guy who will actually put some numbers on him, put some wear on him. Um, and again, the wrestlers are going to be a concern for him, especially since Alex Garcia has a great double leg. He's not known as a submission expert by any means. And Garcia was able to get that win over him. I think following these last few wins, most people would pick him over Garcia, but who knows? Maybe his ground game really is lacking. Yep. I think that he... I'm not sure, but I think that he maybe trains with Tiger Muay Thai now. Muslim... You know what? No. It's Muslim Sakhalov? It says Nova and Yao here, which is weird. Maybe not. I'm wrong. No Tiger Muay Thai for him. A lot of these Russian guys end up training at Tiger Muay Thai. Huh. Um, Randa Marcos picked up a win over Ashley Oder. Marcos is a win-lose, 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 win-lose fighter in the UFC. Never breaks that pattern, and she continued it here. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a sloppy fight, but it was fairly competitive and honestly maybe a contender for fight of the night. Maybe more so than the main event, if you ask me. Uh, Rafael Faziev over Alex White. Man, he just whooped that fucking ass, Nick. There is something to these extremely high-level kickboxers like Salikov, who we just discussed a moment ago. A moment ago. Faziev, these guys are tearing it up in the UFC. It's a different league from any of these regular strikers. Granted, Fiziev did get caught in his first fight in the UFC by a spinning heel kick, if I remember correctly. He's clearly very special. And he's actually one of the trainers at Tiger Muay Thai. And Tiger Muay Thai produces some serious strikers, so that's saying something. What did you think of that one? 
Yeah, I thought it was. It went exactly as we anticipated. Um, <clears throat> yes, sir. You know, fe- Evloev with a great victory over Barzola. Barzola is an excellent fighter. That is extremely impressive, man. Evloev is a serious prospect to watch. He showed stand-up that he never showed before because he had kind of had to to some extent or that maybe he had the opportunity to. I expect that Enrique Barzola to be much faster than him, and Mofsad was able to land heavy, big strikes on him. Enrique never really loses a third round, and he took over in the third round to his credit, and he got some takedowns. But Barzola has almost never been taken down before in the UFC. I think once or twice he's given up takedowns in the nine or so fights. Uh, Evloev took him down several times. Really, really special prospect, I yeah. think. Then we had the heavyweight fight, uh, Sergei Pavlovich, uh, flattened Maurice Green, um, which yeah. he had predicted. We had Lomo uh, Lukbunmi defeating uh, the smaller Thai kickboxer, defeating the the, the big, tough uh, Alexandra Albu. Split decision, but I didn't really understand. Instagram underst- model, Alexandra Albu. Yeah. Um, it, yes, the Instagram model. But she's, I mean, she's tough, and she was the bigger the bigger fighter. But we thought that oh, yeah. we thought that the experience, the Thai boxing experience, Albu did not look like she was UFC ready in her fight before this. And uh, I don't think this was a, should have been a split decision. Um, but... You know, lo- look forward to seeing. Um, you know, I'd like. There's a lot of fighters I'd like to see uh, Loma fight in in striking battles at straw weight. I think there's. I'd like to see her fight Paige Van Zandt. I'd like to see her fight. Um, you know, Michelle Waterson possibly. Um, I guess JoJo is at flyweight, so that doesn't make sense. But um, interesting. You know, there should be some interesting fights for her. Um, and then the heavyweight fight. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I would say let's give her a little bit more of a slow roll. I think she's an exciting, interesting fighter that could be could mean something to the UFC's agent scene. So I'd say let's slow roll her. No top 15s for now. Let's let's let her work her way up against the Emily Wetmeyers of the world, who actually is the other person who beat Alexandra Albu. Um, I, I think let's let's give her a little bit of a slow roll. And then they we opened with a heavyweight fight where Jeff Hughes coming off of that strange. Uh, um, I poke no contest with Todd Duffy, um, lost uh, a fairly lopsided decision to Rafael Pesos Nunes, uh, Pessoa Nunes. Yeah, yeah. R- Rafael fights way better than he looks. I had a lot of trouble finding tape on him before his UFC debut, and he didn't last very long against Ghana in his UFC debut. Jeff Hughes, I knew that he could take a shot, and I knew that he could get a a decent win over a guy like Maurice Smith, who's much bigger and much more talented. But apparently he didn't really have anything. He didn't have the output. It's like he's, he was like waiting for a big opportunity to throw something, but he never actually pulled the trigger. Rafael looked good, man, especially in those first two rounds. Um, a big kind of sloppy-looking guy like him, if he can be that good of a fighter, man, that, that's promising. In the heavyweight division, it doesn't take a whole lot to, to move up the rankings. He could be a bottom-tier top 15 fighter. Who knows? Yeah. Benil Dayush and Cyril Gane got the performance of the night bonuses. Yeah, deserve it. It's like they completely ignored uh, Pavlovich's knockout over Maurice Green. Like, that was pretty fucking spectacular, I thought. That was very impressive. Yeah. And they just gave it to the two submission guys. I guess they just decided to I mean, reward it's the really very, nice guy and the high prospect. It's very hard to not give Gain a bonus. I mean, it's a tough one. You can't give... I you yeah, know, Maybe they should have given up three. The fact of the matter is... Stevie Ray versus Michael Johnson was a much more uh, competitive and back and forth fight than Maya versus Askren was. Um, I thought it was the more exciting fight, and I I always get a little bit bummed out when the main event where you know the guys are getting paid more 
uh, also get the fight bonus. I'd like to see a guy like Stevie Ray, who I, I think he know. said he had three kids, a fourth on the way or something. Like, I wanted to see Stevie Ray. He's fighting in Singapore. He lives in Scotland. Like, pay the man. I, I agree, especially if you're going to give the bonus to Ben Askren over Stevie goddamn Ray. Goddamn it, UFC. Yeah. Um, so, all right, that wraps up last week. Let's uh, let's get right into this upcoming card, UFC 244, one of the most exciting uh, cards of the year, Masvidal versus Diaz. We've got our picks. We're doing the draft points. Um, I guess it's if we're if we're rotating, you've got first pick this week, and I got to ask you, Stan Dryev, who is your first pick? Man, I have no idea. Was I supposed to get ready for this shit? Yeah, I think you were supposed to have like written down some notes and stuff. God damn it. All right. So my first pick, Nick, and, and this is a particularly tough card. All of these guys are named. Very tough. Um, yeah, uh, and the odds are, are mainly close, and some of them are kind of skewed in a weird way. It, it's it's hard to understand this one in, uh, from the picking perspective. Um for my first picnic, I'm going to pick the guy that had a spectacular performance and a loss in his last bout against the best guy in the division. Uh, I'm going to pick him against the guy that's been a big disappointment, even though we saw him as a prospect earlier in his career. I'm picking Kelvin Gastelum over Darren Till as my first one. Ah. I know there's some risk here in that Kelvin Gastelum is coming off of like a war with Israel Adesanya, and maybe that left hand of Till, he's hurt a lot of guys, including Masvidal, with that left hand, man. Maybe it'll land clean on Kelvin, and maybe Kelvin can't quite take it as well as he used to. A recent interview that I saw with Kelvin Gastelum, he was kind of slurring a little bit. And I'm not sure if it's because he had drinks or it's because he came off a big war. And quite frankly, at this point in his career, he's got quite a few fights behind him. A couple of five round, several five-round wars, actually, at this point. Um, I'm going to pick Kelvin Gastelum, knowing that there's a little bit of risk factor here. I just think that Darren Till is a little bit of a fraud. And Kelvin Gastelum is exactly the kind of skill set that should take care of business there. Was that going to be your first? Um, it was going to be my first or my second. I Yeah, I think I don't believe that Darren Kill can stay on his feet if Gastelum wants to get a takedown. I don't think that Till throws enough. And I got it. I just feel like Gastelum's been hit by guys who are bigger and stronger uh, for a while. And he really he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't really buckle that much. And it's not like he has this cre- like he doesn't have insane length like Adesanya where he's going to catch or he's going to catch who caught he was able to catch Gastelum from like strange angles. Um, I just don't see it. I think he's a pretty conventional kickboxer who's um, going to end up on his ass. And I won't be surprised if Kelvin finds his chin. I just I've never been that impressed with Darren Till. I think he looked like he was two weight classes above Donald Cerrone, which he kind of was. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, I guess he's a, he's a pretty he's a pretty big, strong kickboxer. I don't think I was far to say he's a fraud. I think he's been oversold. Um, but so was Michael Bisbing early in his career, and Bisbing turned out great. I think his voice is annoying. Um, I don't like Darren Till. <laughs> I'm a big Kelvin Gastelum fan. I actually don't mind hearing him talk. You're the second person to. Were you the? Someone else said that to me today. They thought he could be a good. Uh, he could be a good announcer someday, and I was. I was thinking to myself. Uh, I don't I know. I think he could be a good announcer. I think he could be a good announcer. I think if he was like a great fighter, he he would have incredible following because because of his trash talk. I think he's got an accent that's kind of interesting and, and, and intriguing, and, and and he says yeah, and 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 he says some of the he says some of the most 
interesting shit. He has this weird take on things. He he will be controversial. He's brash. The thing is that you can be those things and win. But you can't really be those things and lose. So he's going to need to pick up a victory here. Yeah. Despite the fact that he's a decent-sized underdog against Gastelum. So, so we're you and I are on the same page on that pick. My first pick, and I hate to do this because I love the pit bull, Andre Arlovsky, but I think of all the fights on the card – the up-and-coming powerhouse, I can't say this guy's name, the big boy, um, Rosenstruck. Jairzinho Rosenstruck. Jairzinho Rosenstruck. I think he's going to uh, beat up Arlovsky. Um, I don't want to see it, but I think that's what's going to happen. He's a, I think he's a monster. Um, and, you know, maybe Arlovsky lasts the three rounds, but I just think Andre's old. Andre is, like really really uh long in the tooth and his chin's been a bit better but i think this is a uh you know this is the very definition of a of like a top 15 heavyweight gatekeeper fight i'm actually disagreeing with you on this one nick and i'm glad you picked this one so very early um andre Arlovsky, granted he is only what is it one and three in his last four three and like i don't know seven in his last 10. The thing is that he beat Ben Rothwell in his last fight because he was a faster fighter. He should have beat Augusto Sakai in the fight before that, but Sakai got a gift decision for some reason. Um, the Walt Harris, I, I know it was changed to a no contest, but I, I, I think Walt Harris actually earned that victory. Um, I think ever since Andre Olofsky switched to the American top team, he's kind of hit a new stride in his career, and he's been looking pretty damn good. I favor him over Rosenstruck because of Rosenstruck's performance in his UFC debut. Granted, he got a quick knockout with a jab and a couple of ground-and-pound shots against Alan Crowder in his second UFC fight. His debut was against Junior Albini, who we all know is not a very good fighter. Albini actually got on top and was dominant in most of that first round. And then in that second round, eventually Rosenstruck exploded and the fight was over. I think that Andre Olofsky will come in here with a really solid game plan. Obviously, his chin is going to be a liability against an incredibly hard hitter. But Olofsky fought Rothwell, Sakai, Walt Harris, Shamil Abdurahimov, uh, excuse me, Taitu Vasa in his last several fights. These are all knockout artists. These are all knockout winners. None of those guys could really touch his chin. Um, for that reason, I disagree with you on the pick, but I realize that I'm probably in the minority here. Uh, you you might be right. I just I think this guy... My little experience watching him is that when he—I don't want to say he's got Nganu-like strength, but when he touches people, they seem to fall down. It's not a—it's not—it's not a, right a knock that. on Arlovsky. I just think he's going to be able to touch him, and that Arlovsky will fall down. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll be rooting for Mike Thomas Brown and the team at American Top Team to put the right game plan together, and hoping that Andre is able to execute it. I really think Andre is the most skilled of his entire career. I think that if he had his chin as a as a young man along with this experience, and honestly, he's not—he's still athletically a step or two above most guys at heavyweight. Um, that, combined with his experience, goes, long, excuse me, goes a long way. So I'm relying on those guys to come through for me in that way. Nick, my second pick of the night is going to be what I assume is probably your next pick because you're a big believer in the guy. I believe you're a big fan of his. Um, he's an up-and-coming prospect who's actually in his mid-30s going up against the veteran who's on his way down who's actually younger than him. I'm picking Gregor Gillespie to beat Kevin Lee. 
Now, I realize that Gregor is basically just a wrestler. He doesn't really do a whole lot all that well. He can submit guys, don't get me wrong, and he can ground and pound well. But those are kind of very, very part and parcel with the wrestling repertoire that he has. Not really much of a striker, but he pressures really well. More importantly, though, I'm not a big believer in Kevin Lee. I think that not only is he... I think not only is he kind of not durable anymore, not really mentally there anymore. I think he lost his coach who, uh, I forget his name, but he's the extreme couture coach who committed suicide a couple of years ago. And I think ever since he lost that coach, Nick, his record is now one and three in his last four. And that's after going on quite a streak in, in the UFC's toughest division, arguably. For this reason, I favor the guy that's on the up and up on his way up, even though he's got the more limited skill set. I think Gregor's conditioning will be a factor here as well. Kevin Lee gave up multiple takedowns in his last fight against Rafael Dos Anjos. And if Dos Anjos can take you down, then I'm going to go ahead and assume that Gregor Gillespie can. If Dos Anjos can get you tired with his pressure, Gregor Gillespie probably can as well. Picking the 13-0 prospect here over the veteran. What do you think? I'm a huge Gregor Gillespie fan. I am picking him in this fight, but by a much slimmer margin than you are. Uh, the reason is Gillespie had some trouble getting Yancey Medeiros down. And the fact is, Gillespie, I don't think he's a guy who cuts much weight. I think he could probably be a featherweight, maybe a bantamweight, definitely a featherweight. Kevin Lee's a big dude. He is a wrestler. Ally Aquinta is no small guy. Rafael Dos Anjos isn't a very small guy, even though he, he fought at 155. Um, I worry about the combination of Lee's size as well as um, his wrestling ability after seeing Gillespie um, struggle for a while to get Medeiros down. Um, again, I still think Gillespie's probably going to win this, but if he can't, if he can't get him down, what happens? Because Kevin Lee is a uh, far more experienced and more powerful striker, uh, I believe, than Gregor Gillespie is. So I think Gillespie, but I was going to hold this one back uh, for quite a while because I think it's a I think it's a close fight. I also think this is I'm pretty sure. This is considered a, a hometown fight for both of these guys. Isn't Lee uh, an East Coast guy, maybe Jersey? Where's Lee Kevin Lee from? Um, I don't think so. I think he's like from Kentucky really? or, or Alabama or something like that. I could be wrong. Maybe he went to college in one of those states. But the guy's got like a southern accent. Oh, uh, he's from Kevin Lee is from Michigan. I don't know why I thought he was an, an East Coast guy. All right, so Kevin Lee is from Michigan, fighting out of Vegas. and But Gillespie's local, isn't he? Oh, yeah, Gillespie's a Long Island yeah. guy. Um, that's another thing. That was a factor for me as well in this particular matchup, the fact that Gillespie was a hometown guy. And also yeah, that Belmore. Kevin Lee, I actually thought his size was going to be a disadvantage. The fact is he went up to lightweight thinking uh, – went up to welterweight thinking that he's going to have success there uh, since uh, presumably his weight cut was having a negative effect. He went up there against the lightweight and lost. So here he is back at lightweight. I actually think the weight cut might be tough for Kevin Lee for that reason. Yeah, two inches. He thought as going into his last fight that he was going to be done with lightweight for good, and here he is. I mean, two-inch two inch height advantage, at least, for Lee, and a six-inch reach advantage. So we'll we'll see. That's significant, yeah. Um, yeah I think, that's, again, that's I, I, significant if Gregor Gillespie gives you the room to use it. I agree with you. I just think it's, I think it's going to be close. Um, a fight that I think is probably going to be over fairly quickly. This is a, this is a bit of a dice roll, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Um, I think Johnny Walker will uh, take out Corey Anderson. I think 
it seems like Johnny Walker is one of those guys. When he touches you, you go down. And I've seen Corey Anderson get hit a lot. Um, I haven't seen Johnny Walker really take any damage yet. So we don't know. We still don't know if he could secretly be Houston Alexander. Like, we do not know for sure. But I don't th- – <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just – I think um, he, he just does weird shit. Like, I – I just see him catching Corey Anderson and Anderson not maybe freezing a little bit and not knowing quite, not knowing quite what to do with this guy. So I think Anderson is really putting his game together in his last few bouts. And so I had my concerns going into this matchup for Johnny Walker. Anderson uh, beat Larry Latifi by decision to by decision, Patrick Cummins by decision, but these guys, and he's now on a three fight win streak. But these guys are all guys that tend to get finished when they lose. They don't yeah. tend to ride a decision. Maybe Teixeira is tough to finish, to be fair. Teixeira is uh, very tough to finish. Not a great chin on Teixeira. Yeah, I really think Mark Henry's starting to get to Corey Anderson and really developing his jabs so very well, his straight punches. For a guy with his usual height advantage, standing at 6'3", at 205, 79 inch reach, throwing those clean jabs, those quick snapping jabs, those 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 heavy crosses, it can have real value. But after watching some tape on Johnny Walker, you know, his UFC experience, I think he's got a combined two and a half minutes maybe in the UFC thus far, right, with three knockout victories in the first round. Um, his fight against Luis Enrique da Silva in the Dana White Contender Series back in 2018, he actually had to work for it, and it was a decision. It was dominant, but it was a decision. And part of my concern was what would his gas tank be after he throws such heavy shots early in a fight. And for two rounds, man, his gas tank was fine. He kept throwing big, big bombs. Every time he his butt would hit the floor for a moment, he would pipe right, pop up, back up shortly thereafter or get a turnover. So I, I am a believer in the guy as well. But Corey Anderson, I think, can put some pressure on him and can win a decision here. His pace is outstanding. Johnny Walker was tired in that third round, even though he dominated the Silva, even in the third round. He was more tired and damaged by then. Um, but Corey Anderson has a chin issue. When he loses, it's by knockout. And Johnny Walker is the kind of guy that he just needs one clean shot with his knee, with his hands, with his elbow, and the fight's done. So for that reason, I do agree with you. Um, I had this pick just a couple of fights later, so we're not far off here. Cool. Well, Next up for me, Nick. Yeah, we're pretty much in a, in, in agreement the, so far, except for the Arlovsky yes, fight. Yes, sir. That's and you know right. you're being, and you um, already know you're being stupid about that. Yeah, I probably am. Uh, next up, we've got George Masvidal versus Nate Diaz and Nick. I'm about to make oh, a no. pick in the main event. I wanted, for the BMF I wanted title. this one. That, was that one going to be your next one? Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, I, 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 I think you and I both see it as potentially a competitive fight. And I think for good reason, when you look at these guys' last couple of bouts, there's good reason to think that it's not going to be a blowout by any means. Neither of these guys are, well, Masvidal's been getting knockouts actually in his last four victories. And Diaz doesn't really finish people a whole lot. Not even an extremely tired Anthony Pettis, who, let's face it, doesn't really have a whole lot of heart at this point in his career. He will find a way out if you give it to him. Um, Nate did give him a, a kind of a way out in that second round where he was almost finishing him up against that fence and then on the floor. Referee didn't stop it, but he survived. Pettis did. Um, Conor McGregor, he lost a majority decision to him before that, but that was back in 2016. It's been a while since he fought, and certainly a while since he prepared for a five-rounder, whereas George Masvidal has been prepping for some pretty big fights lately. He had a main event against Darren Till in which he got a second-round knockout against another tall, 
southpaw. Darren Till hits way harder than Nate Diaz does, but Darren Till is not as dangerous late in the fight. Um, I'm picking George Masvidal here. I think that his kicking game is going to be a factor, although Diaz could potentially catch his kicks and, and take him down. I am a little bit concerned about the Stephen Thompson fight, but Diaz doesn't really fight like Thompson. Thompson's another kind of sometimes southpaw who's notably taller than Masvidal. I expect Diaz to make it rough, especially in the second, third, you know, in the, in the middle part of that fight. But I do think that at the end of it, Masvidal will walk away with the win. I don't expect it to be by finish, although that's possible, I suppose. Um, I think Masvidal's ground game is certainly good enough to survive against Diaz at the very least. I mean, this is a guy that fought Damian Maya to a split decision, and Damian Maya then said, that is the best grappler I've ever fought in MMA. So I expect him to be fine on the ground. I expect that he should be able to defend a lot of Diaz's takedowns. And Nate Diaz, to his credit, unlike his brother, is a guy that will go for takedowns. He will try to go to where his strength is and not be a, you know, try to be macho and 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 outstrike a guy even even if he's getting outstruck or out wrestled. I expect Diaz to go for takedowns with Masvidal to defend well, and I expect Masvidal to walk away with an exciting decision or late finish victory here, man. I think Diaz is going to win a decision. I like it. Um, mostly that. because uh, Diaz's pace over five rounds is better than Masvidal's pace over three. We've seen Masvidal gas a little bit in the third round of fights. Um, we've, like, Nate, I just think that Nate's volume. We've also seen Masvidal, um, again, even against other strikers, not throw a lot of shots. Um, he did get into, you know, kind of a shootout with Darren Till, but it was pretty early and that fight, you know, played out kind of like Hardy versus Condit, like two guys just ready to throw. Um, but if you go back and you look at, you know, the fact that he's got that loss to Gilbert Melendez, Nate's buddy and training partner, um, and the loss to Ally Quinta, I just, I think Masvidal is a great kickboxer. I think that the Diaz brothers have the greatest output, uh, probably output of strikes over to over. A long period of time, uh, better than any fighter maybe in MMA history, and I think that we're gonna have two very competitive rounds, and then Nate's gonna start landing twice as more, and then three times as more. Um, I don't think there's like, like I don't think there's likely to be a finish, um, but I think that Nate Diaz gets stronger as fights go on. Like we've seen this, I like and I don't think and I think Masvidal hits hard. I don't think Masvidal hits hits harder than McGregor. I think they hit equally as hard. Uh, yeah, I mean, Masvidal has been getting those knockouts lately. I just feel like McGregor's left hand is an absolute fucking cannon, just a killer. So as far as their output, Nick, I'm looking at it now. Masvidal lands 4.17 strikes per minute, where Diaz lands 4.71. It's actually fairly close. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's landed, Masvidal, though. Landed. I want to see thrown. Yes. Well, they, they both, it's funny you say that, they both land at about a 45 to 46% clip. So it's very, very, very similar. Diaz has a slightly higher output, and Diaz has um, has a slightly lower accuracy by 1%. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like Masvidal used to be a low-output fighter. He's clearly grown from those fights. I think something happened to him in the last few years, Nick. Yeah, he was, on, he, was on a, he was on he was on a reality show in like Costa Rica. He said it. He can't. Yeah, what the fuck is? I don't know. We should maybe we should maybe we should go show, on a reality man. show in Costa Rica. I need to go on a reality show. God damn it! I'm gonna grow my hair out, grow a beard out, and be a complete. He's great. I love. I mean, I there's no listen. There's no wrong pick in this fight. They're I mean, like, it's close to a pick 'em. They're both fantastic 
fighters as long as you're not as long as you're not a, a super jacked up wrestler in which case a super jacked up wrestler is gonna you know Kamaru Usman is gonna beat either of these guys I think fairly easily um yeah probably but uh you know this is although although Mas- Masvidal can knock out Usman whereas Diaz I don't think he's got much of a shot at winning that fight I'm not sure if Ma- I'm not sure if Masvidal can like we don't know a ton about about Darren Till, and we now know more than we used to about Ben Askren. So it's not like let's not christen you know George Masvidal. We can call him Cuban Jesus, but I'm not ready to call him like welterweight <laughs> Chuck Liddell. Like he's not he's not walking no, around. He's no, not even no, walking no, around yeah, doing I'm what just, McGregor I'm just was doing. He has like a higher chance, pr- uh, probably. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, Diaz. You know, but you you do favor Diaz. Uh, I like just it. barely. It's, it's just I think it's I... super. I think it's super close. Um, I just, yeah. the way that, I didn't know what we were going to get in the Pettis fight and man, he looked also, he took a lot of time off and that he healed up like Masvidal been in there pretty regularly. He's not taking a lot of damage, but Diaz looked fresh in shape, ready and strong as hell against Pettis. Um, yeah. And, and to your point, although Diaz did, did actually have some rough moments in the first three quarters of that first round, uh, Pettis was doing pretty well, landed a head kick, landed several leg and body kicks, if I remember correctly. And Masvidal is going to be throwing those fucking right body kicks to hell, man. He's going to be throwing a lot of them. Nate Diaz could catch it and get a takedown, and that could be yeah. They've never been a problem for him. Is dangerous. He doesn't have he doesn't have a Cerrone liver. Nate's been hit by everybody. The only time he ever got hurt, and I got to believe he didn't come in prepared, was Josh Thompson. And other than that, like. How many times have we seen Nate Diaz rocked? A couple times against Connor, which he came back from. He was never close to out. And, uh, yeah. you know, so we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it, it should be interesting. I like that we disagree on this one in particular. Yeah. We do, I think, have to quickly mention this little bit of controversy involving the main event of UFC 244, where Nate Diaz came out with an Instagram post essentially saying that he was informed of a USADA uh, violation of some sort. And that he was basically told, don't worry about it. We'll handle it after the fight. And he decided he was going to go public with it, call the UFC out, tell them that they're not going to use this sort of thing as a negotiation ploy against him. And he said, I'm not fighting unless I'm completely cleared of this. And Nick, do you know what happened next? He got completely fucking cleared of this. Nick, this costs other fighters hundreds of thousands of dollars. It costs them months of their career, sometimes years of their career. To go through an issue like this and come out the other side <laughs> with anything resembling a victory. And this motherfucker played the ultimate card, called the UFC's bluff, and basically said, look, you either lose your huge fucking main event for this MSG card for the biggest pay-per-view of the year maybe, or you clear my name entirely and completely. Nick, if this doesn't tell us a lot about how the UFC works, we know that John Jones popped for elevated testosterone or, or Austrian or whatever it was. Uh, before one of his, I believe, Daniel Cormier fights. And then they didn't release those test results until after the fight, even though he popped weeks before that, right? They probably gave him the same kind of message, Nick. They probably told him, you popped, we'll talk about it later. Don't worry about it for now. And then the same thing happened with Mark Hunt and Brock Lesnar, Nick. Brock Lesnar popped several weeks before his fight against Mark Hunt, I believe at UFC 200. And then after the fight, the UFC comes out and says, oh, yeah, it turns out the guy that won and looked extremely jacked up from pro wrestling, who looked three times as big as one of the bigger fighters in the UFC, who tossed him around like a grappling dummy, turns out he was on the juice after all. 
Nick, this is how the UFC does this shit. USADA, to me, is a sham, and I think this exposes some of that. And I think this also shows you that Nate Diaz is a motherfucking genius. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I pretty much agree with all of that. <laughs> uh, I, there's one quick thing. It seems like uh, USADA basically came out and said he is cleared of all charges. It was a tainted supplement. He had nothing to do with this. He was a victim here. He is a vegan, etc. It's incredible what you can get USADA to do if the alternative is the UFC losing money. Jeff Nowinski, USADA, complete fucking disappointment. The whole thing is a damn sham between John Jones being allowed picograms and Nate Diaz not only being allowed picograms, but in a really weird, weird situation. Um, I, I believe it was, by the way, also Vitor Belfort who popped before a fight, maybe against, I can't remember who it was against, but he popped before a fight as well, and the results were not released until after the bout. There's a lot of funny business going on. And, again, this just exposes the sham that USADA and Jeff Nowitzki really are. A bunch more fights to pick um, here. And, yes, sir. man, this is where it starts to get tough. Um, yes. I could There's any one of my next choices could be – well, any, any one of the remaining fights could be my next choice. Uh, looking at them, it's like, what do I feel confident about? I have a – I think – that, dude. I think that – I think that um, Brad Tavares is pretty shopworn, and that Edmund uh, Shabazian, even though he's fighting out of uh, out of that Glendale team, that you know taught Ronda Rousey how to strike and sent Travis Brown on that horrible losing streak. Um, Way better than SBG while uh, uh, SBG Ireland. Nick. Yeah, I'm saying it officially. Edmund Shabazian uh, looks, you know, he looks good. He looks like a he looks like a winner, and I don't, I don't see any weakness in his game that I think uh, Brad Tavares is going to be able to exploit to uh, victory. Tavares is a is a big, strong guy, and a, and I guess I would call him a sort of a well rounded, like generalist MMA fighter. Um, but I think that Shabazian, I'm pretty sure he's got to be younger, right? He just seems faster, younger, and on the way up versus a guy that's taken some lumps. Definitely younger. The only real serious weakness that I think Edmund has is that any third round that I've seen him in, he's exhausted. Right, but I don't really think of Brad Tavares as a guy who uh, he's not a finisher. Although I mean, he hasn't fought in a long. He hasn't fought in over a year, and he was coming off wins against uh, Magales, uh, Elias Theodoros, Tales Letes. He knocked out Christoph Jaco, and then he then he was target practice for Israel Adesanya. Uh, and you know what? You just made a good point in Shabazian's favor. Three of the four guys that you just mentioned that Tavares beat are no longer in the UFC. And the, and, and before that, he had lost to Whitaker and Marquardt. But since since he lost to Tim Bosch in in August 2014, his only two losses are to Whitaker and Adesanya, and before that, Romero. So it's like this guy's law. I mean. Bad. Yeah, this guy's losses are Romero, Romero Bosch, Whitaker. And but also, Adesanya. his wins are guys that couldn't really stick around in the UFC. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you he beat. He beat he, in, right? Yeah, he beat Larkin, who didn't stick around but could have probably. Like he beat Lorenz Larkin. Yeah, yeah. Um, Larkin was a good fighter in my opinion. I agree. Uh, yeah, Ricky Fakudo. I mean, he's been around a while now. He did lose to Aaron Simpson, but uh, I mean, Sebastian's style is very different than Aaron Simpson. Um, I agree. He beat Baroni. Although Shabazzian goes for lots of takedowns against strikers, so it's yeah. entirely possible that he'd do that here. Yeah, the size and the and size of Tavares. Him. I don't know if he's going to do that. I think my expectation is he stays on the outside and and like uh, 
keeps good range and kickboxes the shit out of him, but we'll see. Yeah, Shabazzian has serious power, so given the fact that Brad has looked much more hurtable in his last few fights, it's certainly a good way to go. But again, that third round, Shabazzian is probably going to be exhausted if it makes it there, and it's probably going to. Brad Tavares is not easy to finish. Although Edmund again has yeah. power, so that's um, that's my the third pick. round might be a concern. But but that you know what that was going to be my next picnic, so I am entirely on the same page. I'm with glad it. I robbed you of um, that because it's real now. It's you know, really you, hard. I look at the rest. I look at the remaining uh, five yeah, five or six fights, and I think they're all pickums. I could not agree with you more. Yeah, they're extremely close card from here on out. Um, speaking of close cards, I'm going to go with a fighter that seems to just win extremely close decisions, seems to win decisions that a lot of folks don't think that she deserves. I'm going to pick Caitlin Chukagian to outpoint Jennifer Maya. Jennifer Maya is coming off of a loss to one of your very favorite fighters. Uh, her name escapes me, Nick. Remind me. Wait, uh, who? Maya or Chukagian? Maya beat Maya, Maya beat Roxanne Mataferi. Chukagian, I think that's her, right. Her last fight, I think she got a decision against JoJo, uh, Roxanne's training partner. That's right, Joe Calderwood. Now it concerns me that she lost to Jessica Ive before that. I don't particularly think that Jessica is an overall good fighter. I think she's got decent skills. Like if you see a highlight reel of Jessica I doing individual moves, you'd be like, "Oh man, she's she's good." And then when you see her fight, you're like, "Oh." Maya was no. off in that fight. I'm talking about Jessica I is is who beat uh, Chukagan. Oh, uh, I beat Chukagan one fight ago. I don't remember I beating Chukagan, but okay, I guess that happened. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's part of. Uh, I think that was the fight right before I's title shot in which she got absolutely motherfucking shellacked by Valentina Shevchenko. Yeah, it was the I, one fight I, that, in which Valentina Shevchenko was like, yeah, yeah. It, it takes a Jessica I opponent to get Valentina Shevchenko to throw more than six strikes per five rounds. So that's exciting. Um, Shevchenko looks spectacular in that one. In any case, I, I do favor Caitlin Shukagian here. She has a big height and reach advantage over Maya. And on top of that, she's got more UFC experience. And we know that Maya is coming off of victories over Alexis Davis and Roxanne Modafari, who are good fighters. They don't kind of have the same attributes as, uh, as Shukagian. Not only is Shukagian going to be the taller fighter here, not only is she the local fighter fighting in her hometown of New York City, but... Or maybe she's a Jersey girl. She might be a Jersey girl. Uh, but she also has kind of a very outside style where she circles on the outside. She's really hard to get to. And Jennifer Maya is kind of a shorter, stockier, skilled kickboxer, but a shorter, stockier one. I could see this fight being about as exciting as a Shukagian fight can get. And usually it's boring. And usually uh, Shukagian just kind of throws strikes from a distance in which it would be impossible to land. But somehow judges give her credit for it. But... In her last fight against Calderwood, she looked much better, even though I know the decision is still disputed. She landed some heavy, clean strikes. She actually sat down on some of her boxing, and it was effective. So I'm hoping to see more progression in that regard for a decision victory over Jennifer Maya. By the way, a good goddamn bet would be uh, Maya that, that this fight, without picking a winner, that this fight will go to decision because odds are these girls are not finishing each other. What do you think? Uh, I certainly agree with that point, and I've gone back and forth. I think this one's a pick because Maya has looked, uh, strong. I think she can. She's going to really try to get inside, um, and I think dirty box and try to get it up against the cage. And I think she'll. She knows what to do. It's just isn't her. You know, it's not her her first dance. Um, I don't think she's gonna. Yep. She's not gonna stand there at the uh, on the tip of uh, uh, Chukagian's fists. 
but I think that Chukagian's probably uh, the better athlete. I think she's younger. She's 30. She's from Pennsylvania, but she trains with Mark Henry. Um, so she's 30, and Maya is 31. Okay, they're about the same age. 5'4 um, is Maya to 5'9. This is a really, really tough one to call because Maya, is, I think, is underrated and very tough. I think that her first... UFC fight, she came in with a little bit of the, the cliched octagon jitters, but she looked real good against Liz, against Liz Carmouche, who is strong. I thought she looked very good against Davis and Mataferi, and I think she, you know, I think she's going to bring it. She knows what this, uh, what this fight could mean for her, but I just have a feeling that Chukagin's going to, um, do, a, do a little bit more, maybe land a little bit more. But I do think you're right. A good a good bet would be uh, this would be this to go all three. Yeah, there's an interesting kind of stat here. Significant strike wise per minute landed per minute, they're fairly close. The accuracy is in Maya's favor by a good margin, forty five percent to thirty two percent for Shukagian. But the strike differential is really the big one here. Shukagian takes more strikes than she lands, and she has a really good UFC record, which goes to show you a lot of those extremely close split decisions that went her way could have easily gone the other way, whereas Maya actually does outstrike her opponents on average if only by about 0.69 strikes uh, per minute. So interesting stat there that Shukagian actually takes more than she lands, but her UFC record's really good, to your point. Next, um, next, yeah, oh. it, it, it's an interesting one. Who do you have next? This... This is where stuff gets gets uh, gets pretty tough now, man. Um, oh, I'm yeah. gonna go with I don't know a ton about these guys, but I did see his last fight and I thought he looked like a killer. So I'm gonna go with uh, Hakeem uh, Dewandu over Julio Arce. Um, I don't have a lot to say about it except that I like Dewandu. Yeah, I ended up pilling Julio Arce in this one, huh. and it is my absolute last pick. It's it's like totally a pick 'em fight. I know Hakeem Duwadu is like super athletic and almost undefeated. I think he only has that one loss where he got caught by Danny Henry early in the first round. I don't like his output so much. I think Julio Ars, even though the stats don't show him to be the taller guy, I feel like he should be the taller man here. And I think Tiger Shulman's is going to have him prepared with a constant jab in Duwadu's face, who, again, doesn't have the highest output. I wonder if he's going to be able to land some of those bombs on Ars. Ars really only has that one loss, and that's to Shaman Rice, who's much more athletic and much more technically skilled standing up. Hakeem Duwandu is probably more athletic than Ars, but he's not necessarily more technical. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this is kind of a slam dunk for Duwandu, a dominant win, it's possible. But for some reason, I favor Ars. And again, as pick him as a fight gets for me on this card. So we do disagree on that one as well. Um, my next pick, Nick, is going to be the biggest favorite on the card, the odds are probably skewed further than they should be in his favor, but I'm going to go with Shane Burgos to beat uh, Amir Khani. I think Shane Burgos is a big 45er, man. That guy is huge. He is taller than Amir Khani, surprisingly thicker than Amir Khani. Um, on top of that, Shane Burgos has been significantly more busy. On top of that, Shane Burgos is fighting in his hometown. And I know that he's very hit hittable, right? He He just kind of stands right in front of you, Waits till you throw something in counters, whether you land on him or not. And then he's probably there to take the counter if you want to counter his counter. But I feel like 
Shane Burgos' takedown defense being 100% of the UFC this far is significant, man. Like, not a dude has been able to take him down. He's fought some pretty high-level fighters, including Cub Swanson in his last fight. Um, I favor the hometown guy. On top of everything else, and I think this is probably the biggest reason why I'm not picking Amrikani here, and I actually picked him against Amrikani in his last fight against Fishgold, and that was a mistake. But Amrikani, do you know what team he trains with, Nick? Uh... Well, he trains in Finland, right? SBG Ireland. Oh, does he? SBG Ireland, Nick. Why would you do that to yourself, Makwan Amerikani, sir? You have better teams to train with in Finland than that shit. But he is a very talented guy. Don't get me wrong. He's got excellent wrestling, solid submissions. From what I understand, he focused a lot on his boxing in that year, maybe two years that he took off before his last fight against Fishgold. And this is Amerikani's not only his first fight outside of Europe, but it's his first fight in the U.S. So... I figured that might be a factor, too. He's usually really, really loudly cheered wherever he is. He absorbs a lot of that energy from the crowd. I don't know if he'll be able to do that here against the hometown guy in Shane Burgos. So I favor Burgos, even though I think the odds are skewed at minus 250 to Maquan's plus 195. What do you think? Um, I honestly have been going back and forth on this one. I really, I think it's an absolute pick em Because I didn't end up making a pick on it, I can't say for sure. But I guess for the sake of oh, argument, yeah. I'll say Makwan uh, Amarkani um, by submission. But I think it's going to be a hell of a fight, and I also think minus 250 plus 210 is ridiculous. Yeah, it's certainly worth investing some money My, uh, into Amarkani in this yeah. one. Yeah. My next pick is, this is another tough one. I'm going to go with um, Blagi, uh, Blagoy Ivanov over Derek Lewis. Um, I've liked, uh, Lewis has lost two in a row, um, since that comeback win against, so really, if we go back in time, he beat up Marcin Tibura a little bit after losing to Mark Hunt. Then he had that fight where he and Francis Agano stared at each other, um, a little yeah. over a year, like a year and a half ago. Then he was getting, yeah. he was getting completely outclassed by Volkov until the, you know, the last, I don't know. Um, 30 seconds of the fight. Um, yep. And he got beat convincingly by Cormier and Junior Dos Santos. And as much as I like Derek Lewis, like his game, and he's very powerful, his game's very limited. But more importantly, he's been fighting injured for a long time. And I don't think even in the six months he's taken off, um, there's no way his back is is suddenly actually his JDS fight was fight of the night. I remember him getting hit a lot. I don't remember him uh, hurting JDS, but me. Oh wait, no, no he, he, he did actually hurt JDS. Yeah, with a bomber too. no, you're right. I remember now. Um, but JDS gets hurt. You and like, I disagreed on that one. I had JDS and you had the Black Beast. And um, he had, um, yeah, but JDS does get hurt a lot now, and we haven't really seen Blagoy Ivanov get. Um, you know, rocked too bad. He fought Dos Santos and he ate everything. He was never in uh, serious trouble. He's won his last two fights. Um, he is susceptible to submissions, but you don't really have to worry about that, I don't think, against uh, against Derek Lewis. Um, with his submission, uh, submission loss in Bellator to Volkov five years ago, um, he's fought some big boys who can throw. And I... You know, and he survived. He survived almost getting killed in that, um, you know, in that bar fight, uh, where I believe he was was he stabbed or shot, but stabbed, yeah, I believe. Right, he was stabbed. Like he was in, 
you know, very rough shape. He just seems to me to be like a tough, unflappable dude. And I don't think um, yeah. I don't think he's going to face anything like he hasn't faced before. And I think Derek Lewis has been fighting almost his entire UFC career uh, at a disadvantage due to you know due to his back injury. Um, not only that, but if I think that um, if Ivanov is smart, he's going to go to that. He's going to just land thud, 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 thud body shot over and over again because Lewis gets hurt very easily um, to the body. That makes sense. And uh, yeah. You know, we may see. Derek Lewis can put out anybody. We've we've seen it, but I just I think it's more likely that um, that Ivanov is able is able to uh, make it an ugly fight and uh, and beat him up over three rounds. Yeah, I agree with you on the pick. I actually had this one scheduled for late in in the pickums just because I figured you would pick the Black Beast like you did last time. I thought you were more a believer in him and less of a believer in in Ivanov, but I guess the last couple of bouts have uh, have kind of shifted you a little bit on that, and that makes sense. I mean, it is a pick em fight, right? On yeah, these are all pick em fights. Um, Lewis, yeah, uh, Lewis has a six inch reach advantage, as you said, but he's also got a four inch height advantage. I mean, he's a big, much bigger man. He's going to have a power advantage, no doubt about it. Blagoy doesn't really hurt people, but Blagoy is very fast. Um, he's actually the guy that you said he was uh, potentially susceptible to submissions. I don't remember that Volkov fight in which he lost by submission, but he's actually like a Samboy world champion. I believe he beat Fedor Emelianenko back when Fedor was ruling over Pride in Sambo. Yeah, I, I said so I don't think I don't think of... he's very susceptible to submissions, except for the. I mean, he oh, got yeah, sub- yeah, he got submitted I, I, by yeah. Volkov, but he's not. Um, yeah, yeah. But... well, it certainly wouldn't be a problem against Lewis in any case. Right. But let me ask you an important question about this matchup, Nick. Do you think that um, Derek, the Black Beast, Lewis looks like Tyron Spong and Serial Ghani? No, I don't. That was... <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> I had to do it, Nick. So, yeah, look, Blagoy is going to be the faster man. He's going to be the shorter man. As long as it doesn't get caught with a big bomb, I'm on the same page with you. It's entirely possible that Derek Lewis catches him You know, after losing the first couple of rounds. Let's face it, Derek Lewis can be very fast as well when he's trying to knock your head off. But as you said, he's also susceptible to those body shots. He's got back issues. And so, yeah, I, I favor Blagoy. Also, I assume there's going to be a decent Russian contingent here in New York in the crowd that might give Blagoy some cheer, even though they probably don't know who the guy is. He's a heavyweight and he's got a Russian name. That might be enough to allow him to almost get a hometown kind of treatment here. I'm going with Blagoy. I'm in agreement, although I had the fight scheduled for a little bit later. Yeah, we only have one pick left each. That's well, right. actually no. You have one. So pick, you have one pick, and then we have a tiebreaker. No, I believe that. I believe we each have one pick. There are two picks. Oh, left, you're right. There will be no tiebreaker. Case, okay. There will be no tiebreaker okay. because there's an even number of fights, which I think is probably a little bit of a disadvantage for me. But what are you going to do? You're going to get some of those too in the future. So, can you try not to talk with a stereotypical and... Italian accent, please? You don't see me here doing an Uzbeki accent. If you could do it, I I support it. I'm going to learn one. Kenny. I'm going to learn one from my Uzbek friend at work. I'm just saying at this point, there's probably about as many Uzbekis in New York as there are Italians. Maybe not quite, but it's probably. getting there. I feel like you should be up on your Uzbeki accent, goddammit, Nick. So, Lyman Good, Chancellor and Country, and Stephen Thompson, Vincente Luque. These are the last two fights left. I'm going to leave the Stephen Thompson, Vincente Luque fight up to you. You bastard. I'm going to go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and pick Lyman Good over Chancellor and Country. I know that Chance fought somewhat of a similar style matchup in his last bout where he got a pretty impressive upset victory. 
over a rising prospect. He fought Ismail Nardiev, and he beat Kyle Stewart before that. His only loss since back in 2016, Nick, is to Bilal Muhammad, who's a really well-rounded, tough, gritty veteran. I do favor Lyman Good because I think he'll be significantly faster. I think he's going to have way more power standing up. And I think Lyman Good's takedown defense is excellent. I think it's better than most guys in the division, despite the fact that Lyman Good's kind of touch and go in the UFC so far. I know that Chance Run Country has got one inch of reach and two inches of height advantage. But when you look at those guys, Lyman Good looks like an actual cyborg. I know that's his nickname, but he actually looks like a just a jacked robot. And Chance looks like a long, lanky guy. Weird to me that they're only about an inch or two apart. I'm, I'm curious to see them face off. But I do favor Lyman Good. I expect him to avoid most of the takedowns and win enough of the fight. I do think Chance can probably get top position. The guy's relentless, man. Once he gets you up against that fence, he leverages his long frame to really keep you down like he did against Nardiev. Guy is really underrated, and I realize that he could very well drag Lyman Good to the floor and do his thing here. But I'm not going to count the Rune Kachok lost to Damian Maia against Good. Um, and also that Elise Zaleski dos Santos fight, Nick, that was kind of the turning point for me. I know Lyman Good lost that decision. He probably should have won it, man. He won those first two rounds, and he lost that third round. He was kind of tired, but he deserved the fucking decision. I don't know why he lost that. And Zaleski dos Santos is about as good as it gets when it comes to the prospects at 170. Um, I've got Lyman Good. Yeah, this is a, I think this is another pick em fight. Um, I have Lyman Good as well. I mean, he's also, you know, the hometown guy. Um... Tough one, tough one. I think he probably does does. Uh, this is I think this is one of those fights where one guy is going to end up with a bloody face and the other guy is going to spend some time on his back, and the judges will determine which is more important. I can hear that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with you. But but if you had told me the other thing, I it, you know it would have been close. I it's yeah. very tough. It's almost as difficult. It is well probably yeah almost as difficult as it is to call this next fight. Because I continue to go back and forth. Which Stephen Thompson will show yeah, up? That's a tough one. What will his output be? We know that Luke is a monster um, who's just, you know, not a, not a bigger guy than Thompson, but we know what direction he's going to move in, and that's forward. Um, but, you know, Stephen Thompson can have really good accuracy if he gets, um, if he gets keyed in, and he is the, he is the hometown guy. Um, he looked great until he didn't against Anthony Pettis. And Luke A, although, you know, he did damage on Mike Perry, he certainly took his lumps just as he did in the fight against Brian Barberina. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, the odds makers uh, have Stephen Thomas slightly favored. I do think he's going to have a he's going to have a pretty good height and reach advantage, right? I'll tell you right now, he's going to have a one-inch height and actually a reach disadvantage to Luke. Really? Jesus. Yeah, a uh, half an inch reach disadvantage. All right, I'll probably end up eating my words for this, but just based on their momentum, the way that these guys look, what how Thompson's feeling about himself after getting knocked out by a guy that fought at featherweight, um, I'm going to pick Vincente Luque. I think he's... Uh, I think he might finish Stephen Thompson. Yeah, Luque is really good. He's such an exciting prospect. Coming off of some pretty big wins over Mike Perry, Barbanera, uh, Derek Krantz, which is not exactly the biggest name in the world. He does also have a knockout victory over Chad Lepre, 
Jalen Turner, Nico Price, Bilal Muhammad, man. I mean, he really does have quite a resume at this point. The more, the, the further back I look, the, the better his record looks. The thing is that Stephen Wonderboy Thompson has been losing his last few fights. He is one and three in his last four. Um, and, and he's also old. got a draw against Tyron Woodley in the fight before that. He lost to Darren Till by decision, and unfortunately, I didn't have enough time to watch that entire fight. Till uh, Thompson rounds. should have won that fight, in my opinion. Really, that's that's very good to know because Anthony Pettis he was beating Nick until he got caught with just a crazy Superman punch out of nowhere, and up until that fight, Thompson's chin has seemingly been impenetrable. Tyron Woodley's the only guy that's been able to really do any damage to him. He beat up George Mosfidel, Thompson did. And here he is basically on the prelims on this card against George Mosfidel just a couple years later. Kind of funny how MMA works in that way. Um, the, the people that Stephen Thompson has lost to, Darren Till, Anthony Pettis, Ty, uh, Anthony Pettis, and Tyron Woodley, these are guys that don't necessarily have the biggest output in the world. Luke has pretty big output. He does. The guy throws 5.19 strikes a minute, which is up there. It's not the nine strikes a minute that Paul Costa throws. Don't get me wrong, but very nobody is really. 5.19 is quite a lot. The thing is that he gets hit 4.72 times per minute. Stephen Thompson lands about four strikes per minute. Uh, three and a half, I should say, 3.52. And he absorbs about two and a half strikes per minute. So those numbers are better. I believe that Stephen Thompson does really well against aggressive fighters. Aggressive fighters like George Mosfidal, Roy McDonald on the right day, Johnny Hendricks, Jake Ellenberger, Patrick Cote, Robert Whitaker. He roughs up guys that give him something to counter. Tyron Woodley gives you nothing to counter. He throws shit, except for the occasional right hand and a takedown. Right. And that was enough to, to win that decision and get a draw against Stephen Thompson. Um, Darren Till doesn't really throw a lot either, man, especially if he sees that you're pretty good. He by starts, the, like, by really the way, 22, getting, getting a bit timid. 22 yeah. of 25 uh, internet judges gave that fight to Thompson. Wow. So that was, I mean, that sounds like a goddamn screw job. Good to know. Um, Pettis is a guy that he can kind of swallow up within himself if he sees that you're the better man, even though he caught him with that punch. I'm favoring Stephen Thompson here because Vincente Luque is going to be aggressive as fuck and Thompson thrives in that matchup. When you throw a lot of shit at Thompson, he's going to throw right back at you and you're probably going to miss and he's probably going to land. That's probably Thompson at his best actually is when you really give him something to counter. He's kind of like Anderson Silva in that way and they have several similarities to the style. Kind of like Israel Adesanya. When Adesanya fights a counter striker, it's a boring fight. That's why his Anderson Silva fight was kind of ho-hum. Right When he fights an aggressive guy like Kelvin Gastelum or Robert Whitaker, it's going to be fucking exciting and he's going to land bombs. Same thing with Thompson. I know he's older. I know that he's 36 years old at this point in his career going up against a younger prospect. But I do favor Steven Thompson, so I'm glad you picked Vincente Luque in this one as your last one. Nick, that one is in the books. Um, we do have some betting to talk about. Let's take a quick break and get into that right after this. We are back with the MMA Geeks betting guide to give you guys some recommendations of how to win some dough at UFC 244. First, I do want to discuss quickly last week's bets. It wasn't a good night for either of us, Nick. You placed a $50 bet on a parlay with Random Marcos and Johnson, and unfortunately that Johnson decision didn't go your way. 
that was a loss. And then you put 20 bucks down on Askren, and that was another <laughs> loss. 70 bucks down on your end, unfortunately, yeah. Um, I ended up putting $30 on Maya, and I should have put more down on him. Won $50 there. I lost 50 bucks on Staropoli and Barzola combined. I put some money on those guys. And then I put 25 bucks on Green as a big underdog and uh, $16 on Mays against Gane just because I figured $50 to win $16. It's worth the, the bet. And so my total losses for this one are $41. Not a good night. I don't like being in the fucking red. $41 bucks is not a big deal, and that's bigger. That's smaller than most of my wins in my last several events. But still, don't like being in the red, so I'm looking to make up for it this weekend. Nick, what are your betting recommendations for the dozens and dozens? Uh, I, of our listeners. I like a, uh, a wrestlers whose last names begin with the letter G parlay of Kelvin Gastelum and Gregor Gillespie. Um, I like an, that's exactly my parlay. Too. I would put 25 bucks on that and I would put, um, $25 on the plus two ten underdog Makwan Amerikani, the Kurdish Finn. Um, and looking elsewhere on the card, I think putting ten bucks on Arlovsky at plus one twenty five isn't a uh, isn't a bad idea. And if I was gonna get real crazy, I would do another uh, parlay of twenty five dollars on Johnny Walker and Blagoy Ivanov. One of those has to land for me, right? I agree with your parlay recommendation, Nick, on Gashalub and Gillespie. I'm going to put 75 bucks down on that in order to make $106. I'm also recommending $75 on George Mosfidal at minus 165. I recommend $20 on Amar Khani at plus 210. I don't necessarily think he'll win, but I think he's certainly worth the bet given those odds. I'm going to recommend $70 on Shabazian over Tavares at minus 130. I think those odds are almost even, and Tavares being kind of on the downslope of his career, and Shabazzian coming up. I like those odds. And I also recommend $40 on Caitlin Chukagian, who's at minus 155. I think just for someone that tends to win fights that she doesn't deserve to. In this matchup, I like her chances of maybe even earning a true decision. So I think the odds being close works for a $40 bet in this case. And that will be it for that. Nick, did you happen to catch any of Conor McGregor's kind of self-promoted press conference? Yeah, I didn't like it. He said racist stuff about Dagestanis, which I did not enjoy. And um, I actually didn't hear what he said about Dagestanis. Uh, he just was talking shit about how Dagestanis are cowards and he wouldn't go to that country to take a shit and yada yada. Well, he probably shouldn't go to that country under any circumstance, no matter what happens, let alone to take a shit now that he said that. He might be sexually assaulted this time. He would be on the receiving end of it if he goes to Dagestan, Nick. What Connor's going to try to do is he's going to try to find a winnable fight for January, which is why he wanted Frankie. And, you know, a guy who's going to be fighting at 135 who's not going to probably knock him out or submit him and, you know, maybe gets takedowns, but Frankie hasn't been landing takedowns like he used to lately. So, But the UFC doesn't want to make that fight. So I don't know who he's going to get, but the fact of the matter is the big money fight for McGregor is to fight the winner of, of the MSG fight. Masvidal or Nate Diaz. 100%. It's the winner of this event. And I think that's exactly what Dana's going to want. I think Connor will be open to fighting either of these guys because Connor, I mean, unless George Masvidal just smashes Nate Diaz in two minutes, I think Connor will be open to fighting either of these guys without necessarily a whole lot of fear. I think he will like the matchup. 
even though I think both matchups, you know, have their dangers. They're basically pickups, right? I think he wants a fight. I think he wants a, a. I think he wants an easier fight before that fight. But maybe I'm wrong. In that case, if I was him, I'd probably work on getting a Cerrone fight together because Frankie yes, Edgar I agree would with be you. ridiculous, and I hope Dana sticks to his word on not wanting to make that fight. Um, there was an interesting moment in that press conference, which I kind of caught a little bit of and heard about. Um, somebody kind of asked him in a roundabout way about the two sexual assault charges against him at the moment, active sexual assault investigations into Conor McGregor, by the way. And literally the host of that press conference interrupted and said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Like, what the fuck, dude? If you're going to give interviews, you need to be willing to answer shit. When Conor McGregor asked him about that, you know, that old man that he punched in the head, he like refused to talk about it. Yeah. Conor McGregor, if you're going to be out there in front of the mics, you need to fucking face the media and answer some questions, maybe have some better lines, maybe have a crisis team that helps you with this shit because clearly you don't have your shit together. Conor McGregor is starting to make John Jones look like a choir boy at this point. Well, he also talked about Khabib being running scared. I'm like, Khabib beat the shit out of him and choked him out. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. They, they both have that delusional aspect to them. Speaking of John Jones, and you know, I like to riff on John Jones at least once an episode, he really latched on to this Nate Diaz situation, started tweeting at Nate Diaz like, oh, I know how you feel, man. This is so hard. It, it's, it's so hard to fight. They get you even though you're so innocent. You can't do anything about it. Fuck you, John Jones. You use steroids multiple fucking times. What a piece of shit that guy is to latch on to Nate Diaz's situation and to try to make it all about himself and how he was a victim, even though he popped multiple goddamn times. John Jones, you're a travesty and an embarrassment. But a pretty good fighter, so there's that. Jeez. Yeah, I've had enough about, you know, I like to see him come back to get choked out again. I am a big, I'm a big Khabib Mark. I know he's got some conservative politics that, you know, I chalk up to. I don't think conservative is the right is the right terminology for it, Nick. <laughs> I don't think it's conservative when 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 you don't think that women should be allowed to perform of any sort, no matter what. Well, I don't agree. With, I, I don't agree with that. But you know, you... and and not, not not just to you, Nick, but like to anybody in your country. Like those concerts should not be allowed. Is how he feels about this shit. I know he's a respectful and overall seemingly decent guy, but he's definitely got a side to him that's I think demeaning to a lot of women, and, and gays, for that matter. Did I mention, Nick, that uh, Ben Askren is a fraud? Yeah, yeah. In fact, it, it added about 74 minutes to the show. I believe it. <laughs> do, you, do you think that like all Asian people look like two? No. Jeez, come on, man. You're killing me here. No, just How many times this. did Uriah Hall hit you in the head this week? You're talking like a jerk. What a C sucker, Nick. That was not nice. I would actually really love to spar your eye hall now. That would be fun. It, it's been years since I, that one I, time that we sparred. I care too much about you to, to uh, you know. Nick, I say it right now to the public, to the dozens and dozens, Nick, I'd whoop that ass. All right. I'll, I'll be there to hold your water and to shout annoying things. Nick? And to shout annoying things Nick? and to wait and to, blow, and to blow magic dust in his eyes like a pro wrestling manager so that you've got a chance. I would have Uriah Hall shooting from my ankles like a goddamn wrestler. I would have him pulling a Ben Askren, Nick. Ben Askren, I tell ya. All right, well, you, you, make the, you make the date with him, and I'll be there. Let's end the show before I get myself into any more trouble. <laughs> All right, dude, I'll talk to you <laughs> next week. Enjoy Saturday. And who knows, maybe we'll be there. Oh, man, don't tease me like that, Nick. That's enough. You, don't, don't do this. This isn't right. Take it easy, the dozens and dozens. Bye-bye.
Later, dozens.